Hello again, everybody, and welcome to another podcast of Tyrannus Hall. And this is a place where we're having discussions as we try to make the, the mission of Jesus Christ every Christian's passion and every church's mission. And today we have the privilege of speaking to a bunch of gentlemen from Refuge Church in Langley, British Columbia. And we want to talk with them a little bit about what does it look like to, to start a church and try to be really missionally orientated? And then specifically, how do you follow the leading and the opportunities of the Holy Spirit as he presents them to you as you as you embark on this kind of great adventure? So today, uh, joining us on the podcast, of course, there's Bill DeYoung, my co-host. And then we have with us Randall Vischer, Pastor Randall Vischer uh, from Refuge Church. And then Mike Vandergruten and Jerome Lankeek, who are going to be filling us in on what's going on in Refuge. Welcome, everybody. Thank you. Oh, here. So maybe one of you gentlemen can help us start off by just giving us a little bit of background about the origins of Refuge Church. How did this church start? Where did it come from? Well, I could probably answer to that one since I was kind of there with the first one to get tapped on the shoulder. It wasn't my idea. There was a sister in the church in Langley who just wrote an email to a bunch of folks that thought might be interested in a more outreach-focused, missionally-minded church. And that was back in, I think, the end of 2016. And we did a bunch of grassroots committee stuff involving, well, at the time, the group was basically just some younger folk with a few older folk. I suppose I might be in that category (laughs) compared to the people I was with. But uh, yeah, we did seek some advice from other older, wiser members of the church, some elders. Uh, We did end up getting a a bit of help along the way and through a bunch of different back and forths, different ideas with the idea of pursuing that model of a satellite church through Langley Canary Farm Church that in the end, it was not fully supported as the best way. So then we pursued just instituting um, yeah, church as its own separate entity. And that was like... Yeah, July 12th, 2020 was the date in institution. So, so Mike, you're saying that it, it, the idea germinates from an email from a sister in the congregation who says, Hey, you know, do this. Is, <clears throat> is there anything else going on? Like a lot of times in Canadian yeah. reformed churches, it ends up being, Hey, we've reached X amount of members. Maybe we need to start a new church. Was there any of that going on in the background or was this just simply a sister who was like, Hey, let's do something. Let's start a new church. Yeah, so I served on the home mission committee with her at one point, and I wasn't really, you know, hanging out with her or whatever, friends, whatever, just friendly. And so she was with, I think, another small group in the church that actual small groups, small group, not just like a small group of people, but this was like their meeting every couple of weeks to discuss the Bible and and whatever. And they had kind of talked about it, and then I kind of got felt like I got tapped out of the, on the shoulder out of the blue. I'm like, yeah, I'd be behind that. I'd be interested to explore. But it was never really a, a conversation of, hey, our church is, church is too big. Let's start a new one. It, you know, it's part of the matrix of that all. The benefit of having a smaller church was, you know, part of the conversation. But it was kind of a small player in the whole mindset of that. It was more like, what what can we do to like share the gospel with people to remove barriers uh, while still remaining faithful to the reform confessions and to the Canadian reform way of doing things. And yeah, it just, as we talked and went along, then we found some help and yeah, just 
Yeah, Mike, if, if I could interject here, I think our, our listeners who are part of established confessionally reformed churches, whether Canadian Reformed or United Reformed, would be interested to know at, at what point uh, this process became formal. Did you at some point establish a steering committee or a launch team or some kind of group that began to meet to plot out this new church? Yeah, so it was probably in the mid or maybe in spring 2017, got a bunch of group, a group together. There was a couple of uh, fellow parishioners who were, were elders or had been elders in the past who were interested. And then we ended up setting, sending an email or a letter to our council looking to kind of see if we can get some guidance on this. And they said, yeah, just keep in touch. And yeah, just. And then Mike, how did you, how did you invite people to be part of this? Was that correspondence that went to all the members of the Langley Church? Or did you approach individuals and say, hey, would you be interested in, in, a, in a new kind of church? How did, how did that work? How did you build your initial congregation? Right. So um, there was there was a bit of discussion. The email gets sent to me and I'm like, oh, sure. I think these people and these people might be interested. She's like, well, maybe we should um, just start small and get something, a bit of groundwork framework about what this is actually going to look like because you have way too many cooks in the kitchen, so to speak, that you can end up feel like you're spinning your wheels. But along the way, I can't remember if specifically I do have you know, all my paperwork here, but at some point along the way, later that year, 2017, I think, or maybe 2018, with our councils, Langley Council's knowledge and approval, sending out basically a, a net saying, hey, uh, this is kind of what we're looking to do, who would be interested. And then we had I think we a little even later in the 2018, um, basically a small survey who would be interested, maybe or no, who would be interested in this model. And yeah, that was kind of what got it kind of kickstarted. So, it, you know, I, I introduced this, uh, you know, our, this conversation in terms of following the leading of the spirit or the opportunities <clears throat> that the spirit gives us. And so already, I think this is just such a wonderful story. You have you have a sister in the congregation who's like, you know what I would love to see? And I write an email. And, and, and look what's happened. Now you guys got a church, like, you know, that, that's amazing. So, you know, already for our listeners in terms of like, Hey, if you've got a passion for something, you've got, you know, uh, something weighing on your heart, well, follow, uh, follow that, that good biblical, you know, spiritual leading and talk to people about it and, you know, see where it goes. That's just a beautiful thing. So now you, you're, you're getting people together. I know that from the beginning, uh, and especially when you instituted, you decided as a congregation that you would have an overall outreach orientation. Yeah. So I'm interested in on what did that what did that agreement look like? Like, was this something? Did you guys make a covenant together? Did you spell it all out and have people sign on the dotted line? Like, what does it mean for a new church to say we all agree to have an outward orientation? Like, how do you is that was a requirement to become a member? Like, what did that actually look like? Yeah. So part of that comes from being inspired by you know just a new way of looking at the way we do church, nothing like super way out there, depending who you talk to. Uh, but the idea came from blessings, uh, thanks to Bill Young and the folk in Ontario who started the church. And then we yeah, leaned on some of the material from blessings to come up with a structure and you know vision and mission statement. Yeah, I don't know, maybe you want to say a little bit more about that, Jerome? Yeah, I can... Uh... 
I can also answer something that Winston was, I think, asking after a little bit too, which is on that process and how that unfolded. I came into the committee around the 2018-2019 timeframe when there was actually a bit of a shift in terms of who is on this steering committee looking to start the church. And basically what the, the main reason for the switch was that was the end of the period in which Langley was looking at potentially starting a satellite or second campus or doing a more traditional church split, almost even over geographic lines in some way. And then there was a, a switch to thinking of this uh, more just as a institution of a new, completely separate church. And at that transition point, we called a couple of meetings with any members of the congregation in Langley who were interested in this new concept. And that's at the point where I joined the steering committee as well. A number of the other members who were with Mike from the beginning left. I think the turning of the big wheel of church orderly process can be a bit wearying sometimes for, especially for regular members who hadn't had council experience. And so I think there was a little bit of a transition in the committee. About half of the members were replaced with new ones. And so I came in at that point. We had a couple of congregational meetings and then there was some feedback from the group there going to Winston's question where I think it was heard quite loud and clear from people that the similar outreach missional minded focus to what some people had experienced when visiting Blessings was the general direction that we wanted to go. And then, you know, in a, net, in a second meeting, things were taking shape a bit more. The committee did some more work and research, looked at that, shared some documents with the whole group of people that were potentially interested in joining the, the new church plant. And that's where really we started to get some focus on what, what uh, this congregation would potentially look like. I'm kind of curious, uh, Jerome, Mike, and perhaps even Randall can weigh in. What did that look like? specifically for Refuge when you launched. So there's uh, a commitment to, to being missional, to be outreach-oriented. I imagine to some extent Langley was, and yet you you upped the ante. What, what, what were the kinds of things that you were committed to from the outset that may have represented a change, however slight, from your previous church experience? There's, there's, there's a few different things and maybe Mike, you can add a couple more, but one that actually jumps to mind that you wouldn't normally think of is having a bit of a bit more of a push to really be involved in outreach. And so I say that's maybe what you wouldn't expect because the impression I've heard from some people in talking about the concept of an outreach focused church is that there's concern or expectation that the type of people who join are all the ones who were maybe involved in a home mission committee before, who are really um, very active in reaching out to their neighbors. And so they want to be a part of an outreach church. But what I actually found was more the case, and to a large extent, that was the case with me. And I heard this even more clearly with another uh, friend of mine who is a member of Refuge now. And, and the way he put it was that in a very large church, he felt quite comfortable leaning against the back wall and not really uh, doing a lot of the, and he was just more focused on his professional life and his family. And he was an active member of church, but nobody ever tapped him on the shoulder and said, Hey, could you join this group and help with this? Or, Hey, have you ever 
talk to your neighbors about the gospel? Are you sharing the good news with people at work? And so that's kind of the, the mindset that I had and a few other people had is it would actually be good for us to be a part of a church where people ask those questions of each other. And I felt like I would be a more faithful member of the church and really um, living out my calling as a Christian to share the good news of Jesus Christ. If I was in a group of people who really encouraged me to live that way fully. So that's kind of one of the interesting aspects of what it means to be a part of refuge is that we really try to encourage each other in many ways through pastor Randall's preaching through our small group Bible studies and through all the teams that we have, we're always asking that question, like, how are you helping to um, spread the gospel message? So, yeah, I don't know if you, you others maybe want to give some of the more upfront ways, but that's a background or psychological element that um, I've been reflecting on a bit. I think I could add a bit of context. There was nobody in this grassroots committee which is like the group of people we weren't appointed by anybody but none of us were coming at it with like you know Langley sucks and I really don't like any of these uh, these people that are bothering me and whatever there was no disgruntledness there was no yeah griping or whatever it's just like hey we want to do a good job of this and at some point how are we going to achieve aiming for a more outreach focus when there's you know, at the time there was like 780 members in the church. How do you unify people to something like this? While well, we figured after, you know, the whole way the Lord led us through this was, you know, instead of trying to turn the cruise ship with a lot of people in it to, you know, turn a small boat, that's kind of the beauty of having a fresh start with everybody on board that it just makes it easier to yeah, to have. Well, I, I do think that uh, yeah, smaller congregations, when I say smaller, 200 and under, yeah. are in some ways much better suited to be missional, precisely for some of the reasons you've mentioned. You can mobilize everyone in the, and as a church grows beyond 200, you're going to find more people content to have their back against the wall to. Yeah invoke the uh, imagery that Jerome used earlier. So yeah, there. Yeah, I think just a smaller church is in some ways more adept at being uh, missional simply because you have a better chance at mobilizing people. But let, let me ask Randall, so you came on the scene part way, and to what extent has your ministry changed coming to refuge or has it stayed exactly the same? Are there lessons that you're learning in this process, having migrated from a more established Canadian Reformed church? What, what, what conclusions are you reaching? What observations are you making? Is there any sense in which your ministry is evolving in this new context in which you find yourself? Yeah, I'd, I'd say like, for me, it's been a pretty dramatic change and that's for a whole variety of factors you know the the outreach orientated perspective is is definitely a shift you know in my previous congregation in grand valley like we were certainly concerned about outreach it was something that was talked about but there was perhaps more of a sense of you wouldn't necessarily change the way you would do something for the sake of outreach like that might play into it but it wouldn't necessarily be probably a primary concern there was a sense of kind of like yeah you you first thought about okay how does this impact our, our members who are presently here and if this happens to kind of benefit those who might 
come into church. Great. But yeah, you know, I think the idea to, to change something just to appeal to those perhaps outside the church would be viewed suspect. Whereas, yeah, in Refuge, it it's not that we constantly change things just to appeal. Like we always consider how does it also impact our members? But yeah, it, it's definitely more front and center in the way we do things, the changes we've made, the things we've done. You know, does this make it easier for someone new to join us in worship? You know, Randall, you can, the- Randall, can you can you expand on that? Like flesh that out a little bit from your perspective as a pastor. What does it mean that Refuge Church is is outreach orientated? So can you sort of paint a picture of what what that means for you? You know, if some, someone comes up to you and be like, hey, yeah, I'm thinking of joining Refuge Church. I heard it's outreach oriented. What does that mean? How would you go about explaining that? I guess I'd say like, yeah, if you want to join Refuge as a member, it's like just recognize that as a church, we front and center our minds want to be reaching out to our neighbors and we want to worship the Lord in a way which is also very understandable to our neighbors lives beside you to church even if they've never been to a church before and yes it will still be strange like worship is always going to be a bit strange for someone who's never worshipped before but when it comes to a lot of the the language you know that is say used in a worship service you know we try to avoid you know the the churches the biblicalisms or at least kind of translate them after we use them yeah it means that like there's an expectation that if you're a, a member here, if you see, you know, people who are new, that you don't just kind of leave it off to the the next person to maybe greet that person, but that every single person recognizes their, yeah, their Christian calling to reach out to, to those around them. And that's whether they're at home or at church or in any environment. Yeah. I mean, I'm interested how something like, diaconal work plays into that like if you think about being outreach orientated evangelism right. diaconal work like how, do, how does those things mesh together how do they work in refuge well here's one how example. would you like them to work at refuge we don't do collections for the needy we do collections for causes of the month and these causes of the month are causes within our community some of them have maybe a bit more of a, a religious angle. So something like prison ministries, M2W. Some of them, yeah, it might be a little less explicit, like supporting the, the Langley Food Bank. And so like, if you come to, to refuge in our worship service, when it's, we're talking about, you know, the offering that's there that, that people are kind of invited to, to, to participate in, that is all going towards the, the community. We're not asking anything for ourselves because we never want to give the visitor the impression that, Oh, church is just about them asking for your money. You know, uh, they want you to, to donate to them, you know? So like we will, you know, get support our church budget and collect money for the needs within our own congregation, but we'll primarily do that electronically. And in the worship service itself, if anyone comes in, if they give money, they can know that that money is going to support not just our church and our people there, but people in the community around us at large, and they're getting to, to share with us in that love of the community of Langley and the, the wider, greater Vancouver area. Okay, so I've, I got a question that I, I wasn't going to ask, but I'm just going to ask it. So th- the things that you guys are explaining is, this doesn't sound too radical. You're talking about, hey, let's create a community where we really actively, intentionally encourage each other and help each other 
share the gospel with others, where we're willing to tweak certain things and language, et cetera, in order to uh, reach out uh, to people. And that a lot of this, at least in the beginning, was modeled by some of your experiences with Bill's church, with Blessing. So in the Canadian Reform context, you know, Bill, your church is in a little corner of Ontario, but it's been a bit of a pioneer church in terms of trying to be actively missional. And that can, you know, the name blessings can be good currency or bad currency, depending on, on who you're talking to. And so I'm wondering, in all of your guys' experience at Refuge Church, Mike, you mentioned the super important point that you weren't running away from church problems or you weren't having a negative view of your of your home church. You're trying to do something mm. new. That That's so important. It wouldn't be, you know, the spirit leading this process if it wasn't like that. Yeah. And, and yet, I, Jerome, you mentioned, you know, people having concerns. And so I'm wondering if you had if you had any pushback, if you had any people that were afraid that you're trying to do something too radical or something, you know, out of the ordinary, you know, sometimes I've talked to people who have heard, you know, rumors of what happens at Blessings is just totally not true. So yeah, I'm wondering whether or not you got any negative pushback from that. And then how did you deal with something like that? I think it's an important question for people listening to the podcast who might be interested in doing something like this, you know, if they're going to, if they're going to find themselves in a similar situation. Right. Perhaps surprisingly little, we, that at least maybe, maybe we're not around that coffee table for obvious reasons. So there might be people who are concerned about it. There, there's a few different factors. One is simply timing. We started Refuge right as the pandemic was kicking off. And with worship restrictions, we haven't had as many kind of inter-Canadian Reformed Church visitors kicking the tires, if you will, coming out to check us out as you might have experienced otherwise. We've actually seen quite a few more in the last few weeks now that things are much more opened up in terms of attendance. So, so, but maybe, maybe a couple of questions here and there, but really haven't had a lot of strong opposition. I think only in terms of you know, just making sure before we were instituted that we were prepared to be a, a viable and successful congregation. So the quest, kind of questions we got in terms of from um, advice from other um, local Canadian Reformed congregations before institution were things like, "Do you are you sure you have enough members to support things financially? You know, do you have a location figured out? It's a pretty challenging real estate market around here for not just residential, but also commercial and institutional space. So have you thought through all the practical matters? So the, I, I don't know, maybe Mike, you've heard more or, or Pastor Randall, you might've had other questions, but we may have also, may also be because, you know, we're not the first outreach focused Canadian Reformed Church. And it's been quite a few years since Blessing started, for example, that maybe people who had some concerns aren't, you know, charging in with them. Hey, what's going on over here? This isn't an entirely new concept. And maybe there's a bit more of a wait and see if anyone did have some of their own personal concerns. So, yeah. Yeah, I think like, you know, we've had any number of uh, other Canadian Reform ministers now preach on our pulpits and, you know, see up close and personal how things are done at Refuge. And I think generally, yeah, they've often come away quite positive about the experiences uh, that they've had. And yeah, while we have changed things, I think we, we've done it quite carefully and, and thoughtfully. And so it, it, it's gone well. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Bill, Bill, you want to chime in on any of that? Yeah, sure. Well, a couple of things. A, I'm the pastor of Blessings, which especially in the past was at the center of some controversy, the object of a lot of concerns. 
I have to be honest, very rarely did people ever pick up the phone and talk to me or even send me an email. I heard about criticisms via via, and I was always a little bothered by the fact that people just didn't bother to to call me or send me an email or come and visit Blessings. And I think what, what you at Refuge are experiencing is what I've experienced. People have showed up at Blessings and have imagined something entirely different than what they experience. And, you know, they go through a worship service and they say, oh, this is wonderful. This is, you're not, you're not so different in the end from other Canadian Reformed churches. We see a lot of similarities and they're, in some sense, they're underwhelmed by the, the differences that people sometimes pretend are there. The other phenomenon that's really good for us is that churches like Refuge have started because in some way it deflects some of the attention that Blessings has received justly or unjustly in the past. I mean, even if you look at the our sister churches in Australia, uh, a previous earlier synod wanted their ecumenical committee to monitor blessings in particular, and they came back to the next synod and they said, you know what, we realize that what's going on at blessings is actually a federation-wide matter. There are a lot of questions that are being asked about the context in which churches find themselves. Many churches are endeavoring now to be missional in a way they weren't before, and our focus on blessings was a little misplaced because it's a federation wide conversation that's occurring. So that's been gratifying as well. But I, I often had this experience where people would come to blessings and after worship say, well, that, that was wonderful. It really wasn't what I imagined it to be. And it made me just wonder what they imagined it would be. Yeah. In the end, yeah. we follow a reformed liturgy. We sing uh, psalms and, and biblical hymns. There's nothing in Reformed theology that I would flag as as a deterrent to missions or an obstacle to missions. I'm quite fond of the church polity that we have in Canadian Reformed churches. There are very few articles that I'm interested in rewriting, maybe a couple of them. But for, for the most part, I, I love the uh, polity that we have. I identify with the history. And I'm sure that's true for, for all of you as well. I, I don't need to check my reform convictions at the door to be a pastor of a missional church and blessings. I like how you put it, how it was underwhelming for people. So if you're going to go out and start a new missional church, try to make it underwhelming. <laughs> Mike, we actually had, what, uh, sorry, we, we actually had a guest pastor who came and he was expecting, kind of not sure what to expect. And after doing the two services, the second one being with question and answer period, he he was flowing like this is wonderful. I was wonderful, not sure what to expect with the worship, and it was reverent and God pleasing and biblical. And I'm really encouraged to to see this. So it was not underwhelming for him. It was more like overwhelming. And he was, yeah. We had many of our uh, congregation members just saying. Oh, you can invite him back again. That went really well. So, oh, yeah, right. it's, uh, it is. It's not what you. It may not be what you expect, and it's, it's a good thing. Yeah, wonderful. Hey, gentlemen, let me shift gears here a little bit. You guys started <clears throat> Refuge Church. You got Randall as pastor now. You got you know hopes and aspirations in terms of what the culture of the church is going to be and what people are doing in everyday lives. 
But then the Lord in his providence has thrown a really unique opportunity on, on the lap of the church. And you guys have, you know, are you as a church have decided, hey, if the spirit is opening this door, we want to walk through it in faithfulness. So tell us a little bit about your hopes and desires and, and plans for this Indo-Pakistani ministry and how that all came about. I don't know who's the, first, who, who's the best guy to, to start about how this started. Um, I'll jump in there because I was uh, I was present on the on the first day when when this started and uh, I'm comfortable enough with myself to let you know that this is a case of having uh, very wrong impressions and uh, being shown uh, a much different uh, direction than what you thought you were going into. We, for context, having a very small council with only three elders and two deacons and, and a minister, we we help each other with our roles at times in in line with what we we find in the church order. And so I was assisting with a pastoral diaconal visit to Babar Masi and his family. And he's a refugee who's originally from Pakistan and spent many years in hiding in Thailand. And we were concerned about this family as new Canadians that wanted to make sure that their physical needs were being taken care of because we had heard that he had difficulty with his employment. He was, as many immigrants do, doing some physical labor jobs and had some uh, difficulties with doing his work and had now had no employment. So we went over to have a little visit and see how things were going. And myself and the deacon who was with me, we really learned something there. So we, we went in trying to figure out if we maybe could help him diaconally with their financial needs. And what we learned there is that this brother actually had pretty substantial experience and qualifications in the ministry. He had completed a Bible certificate, a Master of Divinity program, and another seminary program related to Reformed uh, Presbyterian and Evangelical churches in um, Pakistan. And we asked him, wow, that's really interesting. We didn't know this about your background. What, but what kind of work would you like to do? And he said, I just want to tell people about Jesus Christ. There's good news. And I want people to know this good news. So whatever gives me more opportunities to spread the gospel, that's what I want to do. So the, the deacon who was with me and I were just really kind of blown away by this and thinking like, what are, God is giving us an opportunity here. We have a new congregation in a rapidly growing city that has a substantial number of new arrivals every year from India and Pakistan. And he speaks uh, fluent Punjabi and Urdu and a couple of other languages and has all this training. So we thought, how can we find a way to do something with uh, this brother to help him to tell other people about Jesus. So that's something that we've been on a bit of a journey with as a congregation. And actually last night we had a council meeting and we now moved beyond another step. He, Lord willing, will be ordained and installed as an elder in refuge on Easter Sunday. And he was elected unanimous to that office. And also in our recent budget meeting, our congregation unanimously approved a budget, which has a pretty significant commitment to giving him some paid support to conduct that ministry work in a professional way. So um, not called as an ordained minister, but working as an elder to organize evangelism in that community. He's uh, running some Bible, a weekly Bible study and a number of regular events where they 
give hospitality to people and, and get together over food. And yeah, so there's a lot of other things we're exploring and what we can do next with that work. But it really was a case of, you know, us trying to do one thing there and God showing us a completely different opportunity. And we, we initially engaged him to conduct some research on what's already out there as far as work with Punjabi speaking neighbors of ours. And what he found is that there were some organized missional activities in neighboring cities in Surrey and Abbotsford, but not specifically in Langley where we are focused. So that's something that, again, we got another pointer. Yes, he's the right person here at the right time to do work with refuge. And a number of people are attending his Bible study regularly. And he also conducts Bible studies the pandemic kind of opened some more different ways of thinking for us in a positive way. And he conducts uh, a number of Bible studies in with people who are actually in India and Pakistan and in Thailand, many of whom are persecuted for their faith. And he joins them on video calls and explains the Bible to them and they encourage each other in prayer. So it's really exciting to be a part of this. And we had a few plans specifically how this can go and how that can go. And the numbers of people showing up on all these things are far beyond what we expected. So we've really learned, okay, God has something big planned with us. Let's, let's just go with this and, and see where, see where he leads us. I can never, I can never remember the exact uh, line from Dwight Eisenhower, but it's something like planning is indispensable, but plans are useless. And uh, you've got to go through the, the work of planning, but you have to be prepared for God to take you in a different direction. I love this story, and I love it in part because I think that the demographic of people in Canada most receptive to the gospel are immigrants. And the data bears this out. The evangelical church is growing in Canada from migrant and immigrant populations. And so I think we need to think explicitly about ways to reach these populations, because secularist Canadians, for whatever reason, think they understand Christianity and they've made a decision against it. They're just not that receptive to the gospel. It's very hard soil, shouldn't be ignored. But these immigrant populations are, are generally far more receptive. I'm kind of curious, though, why, and maybe you are, why you're not pursuing ordination as a pastor for this individual? Is that something you've contemplated? Is it just proving to be too difficult to, to jump through the hoops? I think it'd be wonderful to see this individual ordained as a minister in the Canadian Reformed Churches and maybe be able to pastor a, a congregation in the future. I'm sure these are all questions you've asked, but why, why that decision to go the route of, of elder and, and not pastor? Maybe you can add to this, Pastor Randall, but just in a, in a nutshell time, ac academic credentials are difficult to transfer to other countries in any field. And many new immigrants have that problem. They're qualified, for example, as you know, they have an MBA and they're a CEO in, in India and they come to Canada and they ended up being a, a shift manager at Tim Hortons and their academic credentials that they got are not properly valued here and or not able to transfer properly. And so uh, the same same thing happened here. In, in order to be qualified as a minister in Canadian Reformed Church and complete our seminary training, there's just too many gaps with the type of training that he had. He fully embraces our, our doctrines 
as a Canadian Reformed Church. Uh, so there's no issue there. But the credentials that he has, it would be very challenging to go that route. It's not impossible. There would be a lot of study required. And just we feel that the opportunity is there right now. God opened a door wide open for us. And we just feel that it would be hindering the work of the Holy Spirit if we put the brakes on that and said, okay, wait, yeah, we'll do this. But first, Brother Massey, we we need to put you through six more years of training, and then we'll start the work. God gave us an opportunity right now. People are coming. People want to learn about Jesus. So we said, how can we just start working in a way that is church orderly and uh, we we can just get out of the way and let him tell people about uh, Jesus and where we go next let me inter- interject here. Maybe Randall could comment on this. Well, I'm not sure he needs six years. If he's an ordained minister with a seminary education, all he needs in order to be examined by classes is a letter from the from the seminary saying he has fulfilled seminary equivalency, and that that may mean that he his existing education will need to be supplemented. But that can probably be done remotely. And I would think that within a year, that education can be brought up to snuff and he could go before classes. But Randall, what? Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately, like it was something that was was looked into. The seminary was contacted. But just due to the the nature of the requirements that, that we have for our pastors, their judgment was effectively that they would expect him to just do the full four year. And I think for our brother that just isn't a particularly attractive option. He, you know, he, he wants to just be spreading the good news and for him to, to uproot with his family, go to Hamilton, spend four years there just so that he might, you know, get called back by us to a formal ministry position just isn't, yeah. The, yeah. Uh, and on, and on top of that, on, to- so, on top of that, I just like your creative approach. Like the, there's there's other churches in our federation that hire staff to do various kinds of work. And why not be hiring staff to be doing outreach work? I think I think that's great. And then you have them as an ordained elder and they're accountable to a consistory and all of that type of thing. I, I think that's a, a great creative approach that grabs the bull by the horns and walks through a door that the Lord has presented to you and does it in faith, knowing that, hey, who knows what's going to happen in the future. I, I imagine... Uh, there's so many beautiful things about this story, but then I can imagine you could sort of come up with a list of, you know, concerns or, or things that could go awry. So, you know, you got somebody who's working in another language that the majority of your, your existing uh, members don't speak. Like you can imagine a scenario where it just sort of ends up being two silos, you know, two very different kinds of things. And how do people in your church have any meaningful participation in what Brother Massey is doing? I don't know. You, you got any comments comments about, about that challenge? Well, like we're definitely encouraging the members to to drop by the Bible study. It's true they won't understand, but there are uh, a few who are kind of willing to sometimes translate. So, for example, last Sunday I was there, my and one of our younger brothers did a bit of a translation for me, so I could kind of understand what's happening. And then, of course, afterwards they do you know times of fellowship together. Sometimes it's just you know tea and snacks. Other times it's full on meals. And then you know obviously most of the the people who are there do speak. Uh, some English, some of them better than others. But so you can also get to know the, the members there. And yeah, we kind of hope that, you know, with time going on, that there will be opportunities for the members of Refuge to be able to to serve those who are also coming to that Bible study, you know, talk of things like ESL classes, or just, yeah, finding other creative ways in which we can support them as, you know, brothers and sisters in Christ. 
Yeah, you know, we're so used to as Anglophones in Canada to speaking one language and assuming everything can only run in one language. But, you know, I've I've been in in numerous places in the world where your people are attending to a congregation that is three different languages. I used to go to a church in West Africa where the pastor would preach in one language and two different people would simultaneously translate into two different other languages. So there's three languages being going on. They would do that. They would sing in three different languages, and that was just sort of a normal part of life and a, and a permanent fixture. It wasn't like the goal was to get everybody into one language. So yeah, I, I can, I can imagine if you're willing to sort of stretch yourself as a, as a Canadian, we come from a background where it's like, you know, our ancestors were Dutch, but they very quickly moved to English services and tried to become, you know, have one language, but yeah, you, Even, you can uh, imagine, you can imagine a scenario where a refuge church, you come and visit it in the future and it's got multiple languages being used in the worship service. Yeah. I was going to mention well, that to brother Massey, like, even within the service he leads, it's primarily in Urdu, but he does go in at times into Punjabi and Hindi, which he's also familiar with to kind of. You know, at, at blessings, we, 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 at blessings, we have somebody translating what I'm saying into ordinary English as well. So it's, it's a multilingual church. You know, I, I would, I would think creatively, and you're probably doing this, but ways to mobilize the congregation for this mission, have games night where you don't need to be talking in English all the time. Maybe you could do career mentoring. Maybe, maybe you could play a part in providing lodging. I, I, I think this is an excellent thing. And your congregation is going to become very missional just from this exercise of inter, interacting with this community. But I would think long and hard about ways to mobilize everybody to play some part in, in this. And it doesn't seem to be too much of a stretch to think of ways in which that might be done. Yeah. And to make sure that it goes both both ways, right? Like we had a, a church in Quebec that had about 50% of the people from Quebecois background and the rest were from Madagascar, from Madagascar background. And so they would have they would have evenings together where they would share different elements of their culture and give a little talk about this element of their culture or that element of their culture. You know, it's, it's not just a matter of like, hey, let's mobilize the existing members of, of, of refuge in order to help this this new immigrant community. But what can they teach you about about the faith and about walking with the Lord, especially those who have, who have lived under persecution or, have, you know, had to be refugees and whatnot. Wow. There's just, there's, there's so much that so much blessing that can pour both ways. Hey gentlemen, this has been a really interesting conversation. It would be interesting perhaps to, you know, in the future to get brother Massey to come in and speak with us on this podcast. That, that mm-hmm. would be excellent. And it's just a beautiful story because you got that your guys are only at the beginning of really the church has not been around for that long. You've decided to jump into this uh, into this open door that the the spirit is open for you. Can't wait to talk to you about it all in the future and see where the Lord leads all of this. So thank you so much for being on the podcast today. I really appreciate it. Thanks for coming. So Bill, we started this podcast by talking about the necessity to walk through the doors that the Lord opens for you and follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. That was a little bit of a theme when we had our discussion with John Sebaga as well, in terms of the church there who said, hey, we've got somebody available. Let's, let's you know, use that and take, take, take advantage of that opportunity that God's given us. And Refuge Church has done something pretty similar. They've got, by God's grace and God's providence, they have somebody who's been placed in their church with uh, a bunch of skills, and they've decided to say, hey, let's, let's follow that. Let's you know, put resources behind that. So yeah, you got any comments about that, the necessity of following the, the Lord's lead in those things? And then maybe you could, you know, I'd be interested in what you'd have to say to this. What's the difference between following the Lord's lead or to walk through the doors that the Spirit opens and just being entrepreneurial? Yeah. Well, it's a, it's a great question. And, you know, at Blessings, and perhaps you've done the same at Jubilee, we have a vision, mission, and strategic plan. 
And that's good and bad. I think Christians in whatever realm, whether it's business, family, church, need to be responsible, need to plan for the future, need to think in terms of the future. It was characteristic of the prophetic ministry to have vision for the future. And so I, I think we, we need, on the one hand, to, to target demographics and to commit to certain ministries as uh, local churches. But at the same time, we always need to be open to the Lord's leading, to the Spirit opening doors that we didn't maybe even know existed. And you know that kind of sensitivity to what God is doing in one's congregation and in one's community. And I love this about Refuge Church, that they had this gentleman in their community, and instead of ignoring him, they attended to him, heard his story, discovered he had education and gifts and abilities for ministry, and then you know, set him free or emboldened him to do this kind of work. I think there's a lesson there that as leadership in particular— we need constantly to be asking the question, what, what is God doing in our congregation? What doors is he opening that we might not be seeing or that we weren't looking for? And, and then if, if, if you, you may be surprised what you discover. And I, I, I just really, really love the idea that the, the people at Refuge uh, kind of ran with this. And it, it's, it's, I'm, I'm, almost certain it is already bearing fruit. And I think it'll bear a lot of fruit. Yeah. And if, if any of our, our listeners don't like the language of walking through open doors or following the lead of the spirit, which is biblical language, the reformers, you know, talked so much about providence and, you yeah. know, and accepting where the Lord in his providence has placed you and asking for your daily bread in where the Lord has placed you and where the Lord in his providence has you know, placed you, you go about doing your work. And so if the Lord in his providence has placed a desire, you know, or a thought in your mind to say, hey, maybe we should go play at the church over there or start a new church, or he's, he's given somebody in your congregation specific gifts, then yeah, let's celebrate that and run after that. The the flip side of that, which you alluded to was sort of careful planning. And you mentioned in the interview about the the need or the opportunity here in Canada, at least to reach out to new Canadians, to people who are new immigrants. So you, you said something along the lines of, you know, that's where a lot of the, the growth in Christianity is happening. You want to say a couple words more about that? Like, do you think that this is something that we should be paying specific attention to? Well, there's uh, there are Angus Reed polls that demonstrate to statistically that evangelical churches are growing because of immigrant populations. In Canada, we see a lot of immigration occurring, maybe not to the extent of Germany and some of these other countries, but in the city of Hamilton, for instance, we are projected to grow by 200,000 in the next 10 years. And they expect that almost one in four of newcomers to the city will be international students, their spouses, or families. From my own experience, East Asian populations are far more receptive to the gospel than secularist Canadians, whether they're from China or Japan. They, the, the story of Christianity is, is somewhat foreign to them. They're kind of intrigued, and you'll find a listening ear. And there are plenty of Chinese uh, individuals who are, who are converting to Christ here in Canada. The same I find is true of Middle Eastern immigrants, Iraq, Iran, Pakistan, Afghanistan. These are people often from Muslim backgrounds who 
are open to the gospel. A lot of Africans who come here are already professing Christians, but certainly not all, especially not from the north of Africa. I really think this is this is this is these are populations that we should target as churches because for the most part they they simply are more open to hearing the gospel hearing about Jesus in particular yeah i'd say that's so accurate so many other cultures around the world unlike our own secular canadian culture love speaking about religion love speaking about God, are willing to have open conversations about that. You can be pretty sure that if you talk to any new Canadian who's from Asia or from Africa and you strike up a spiritual orientated conversation, that they're more than willing to have that. Whereas it seems super awkward to the secular Canadian to have that discussion, which sort of, you know, you imagine, you know, that that impulse to, to do that as churches continues to grow. We've got multiple churches in Canada in our federation that are reaching out to new Canadians or that are seeing a, a portion of their population being people that are new to Canada. Yeah, we, we should, maybe we need to get a whole bunch of people together to talk about what that looks like, you know, and, and the lessons that we can be learning from there, because you can, I can imagine you've got the situation of two silos growing up. You've got situations where congregations become more integrated cross-culturally. You've got congregations that are just willing to see what happens. There's got to be so much interesting learning that can happen there. Maybe we should do that as a podcast or a, a conference or something, get people together who are involved in, in ministering to new Canadians. That would be super interesting. I think, I think it would be. I, I mentioned the Angus Reed pollsters. Well, Cardis, uh, and we've uh, interviewed Ray Pennings from Cardis on Tyrannus Hall earlier, will be releasing data about uh, religion in Canada this coming summer. The, the data's already in. They're, they're busy interpreting now. But I heard Ray Pennings speak uh, this past weekend. And among the, the data or the, the facts that he disclosed is another interesting development. And that is that young people between, let's say, the ages of 18 and 25 are far more likely to read a religious text in the course of a week than someone 60 or older. So there's also a shift occurring in terms of younger people being open and interested in religion that you don't find with uh, boomers in Canada. Yeah. I just think that's very encouraging for Canadians and for Canadian Christians, you know, in a, in a climate where there's so much bad news there, there is, there are some interesting things happening. Yeah. Fascinating. You know, Proverbs says that, you know, man makes the plans, but it's the Lord that establishes his steps. That's been true for Refuge Church. That's true for, for the whole Church of Jesus Christ. We keep on making our plans and we keep on trusting God with the results. And uh, that's true for, for all of you who are listening to us today or all those who are viewing this on video. Keep on making your good plans to make the mission of Jesus Christ your passion, every church's mission, and keep on trusting the Lord that he'll establish your steps. Thanks so much, Bill. Let's see you next time. Thank you, Winston. Take care. Thank you.